The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal Piston Rings. My name is Joe Costello, and we have got another great episode for you. Before we get started, before we bring on the co-host, I want to encourage everybody to click subscribe and write a review. Rate and review the podcast algorithm. It is so complicated, but if you rate and review Hidden Horsepower, it can only mean good things for the podcast and more people being able to hear all the great legends of engine building that we've got on this show. Like, for instance, he is the director of technical sales at Total Seal Piston Rings. He joins me now, Mr. Keith Jones. What's up, Keith? Hey, everybody. Uh, it's another sunny day out here in the desert, enjoying some, you know, cool, brisk 109 temperatures. We're just, uh, like, uh, having fun out here in the dirt, uh, ah. staying busy, and always, as always, trying to make things better. Yep. Sounds so cool and relaxing, 109, no big deal. Yes, you desert dwellers. Here in sunny South Florida, it is 100% humidity, so we have that going for us. Now, I'm super excited about our guest, Charlie Garrett. This guy has run pro stock. This guy has won championships in sprint cars. He's kind of another hands in many pots when it comes to automotive and auto racing. I am super excited. What about you? Oh, absolutely. Charlie is just one of the sweetest, dearest customers, you know, friend, you know, beyond. I hate even using the word customer. Friends that I have because he's such a gentleman, such a great guy, such a wealth of knowledge. Uh, he's, he's a legend in this industry. Uh, anybody that knows just, you say Charlie Garrett's name and they know what you got. You got the best of the best. And that is so exciting. And that is what hidden horsepower is all about. So without further ado, let's bring him on from Pennsylvania, Mr. Charlie Garrett, Charlie, welcome to hidden horsepower. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. And, uh, again, thank you for inviting me. I think it is great. And Keith was like, what about Charlie Garrett? And I did like, man, this guy is a legend. And you are. I love the fact that you started off uh, in drag racing. Let's take it back to the very beginning, though, Charlie. Cars, engines. How did you know that that was your thing? Well, when I get, just as I got out of high school, uh, I just had a passion for racing. And my parents never wanted me to race. They really didn't. And, uh, I ran my first drag race at Lincoln Speedway, which is, people think that's a joke. <laughs> that's where we raced, at Lincoln Speedway in the dirt. They drag race on, on the home stretch. And uh, anyhow, I won a trophy. It was with a Ford, so you didn't, they were pretty easy to hook up. Fords didn't have much power <laughs> compared to Chevy. But anyhow, uh, I won a trophy. I took it home, sat it on the kitchen table. My parents come down the next morning, and when they seen that, I, they just, they just really laid me out about that. They, you're not racing. I said, I want to race. I'm going to race. And whatever reason, I just, I just, nobody in my family, nobody, none of my brothers ever had a desire for racing or had any passion for no mechanical ability or nothing. They just didn't. But I don't know. It's just something that, uh, that I wanted to do. And here I am still doing it. You know? But uh, I don't regret any of it. You know, there's people to say to you, uh, don't you regret the money you ever spent racing? I said, no, no. Uh, if you laid it on, the mark, on my workbench and said, there it is, but I'm going to remove your knowledge, your friends, your experiences, well, what would I do with the money? You know, what, how much money do you need? You know, No, 
I'm very lucky in that way to find something in my life that I like to do because most people never find it. Wow. They just don't. They don't know what they're looking for. Amazing. Well, it's so true. But also in that time, racing wasn't the industry it is now. That We were still dealing with, uh, I'm oh. thinking about movies, two-lane, blacktop, bad people, race. You know, it wasn't le- as legit as it is now. No, absolutely not. But uh, you look back over the years, it's amazing how it's developed. Sprint car racing in particular has just gotten so, so big. It's just getting bigger and bigger. And I think a lot of that's due to uh, dark vision, uh, all the all this stuff that's on TV now with it. You know, it's definitely brought in uh, bigger races, bigger paying races. And uh, I mean, here in Central Pennsylvania, this is a this is a big, big sprint car. And obviously, I started out in drag racing. And that's what I really liked the best. But all these guys have come in the shop around here with all the you know so many tracks in my area here that. They wanted to do work in sprint car racing. When York US 30 closed up, I don't know if you ever remember that, but uh, probably not. But uh, that was our home track, and it was an old airport, but a very, very good racetrack. But when that closed, drag racing kind of slowed up around here. And uh, we've got Maple Grove. Maple Grove is very close. But other than that, we don't have no tracks around here that uh, that uh, you could go to that are very close. But the spring car racing around here has never died. It never will. I don't believe not in my lifetime. I won't. Keith, jump in with a question. Oh well, and absolutely, I remember York. That's a, like you say, a, you know, in its time, legendary, legendary place, and uh, everything Charlie just said. I mean, anybody that follows sprint car racing, you know, the Pennsylvania Posse. I mean, these are, you know, these are the guys to beat. You know, you want to challenge yourself. Uh, you know, we have local guys here in Phoenix that. You know, their whole their whole thing all year long is to get enough money and enough engines together to go run with a posse. Uh, it's going to show you what you're made out of. And, and there is no tougher sprint car area there, and I certainly understand why Charlie does sprint car engines because you're right in the middle of all of it. But as I like to say, you know, the best round track engine guys are drag race guys, and Charlie's just another proof to the, you know, proof of that statement. Right now we're, we're in the middle of our speed week here. You know, I don't know if you know that or not. Tonight's the halfway mark. We got ten consecutive races in the PA Speed Week, and uh, I'm pretty proud that my motors are leading leading the championship right now. We got about a, we got 500 points. Anthony Macri, a young boy, well, he's 24 years old. Uh, he's won the first two of the Speed Week races. He's got the most wins in the country. He's got 14 sprint car wins, and he's he's a young kid that has just come along really good and, and getting better all the time. And that's why you work hard to see your work uh, represented well. It isn't just all about money to me. I want to. I want to see my results. I want my work to speak for itself. And uh, I think if more people did that, we'd have a better product on everything in, in this world. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. You guys are halfway through. I wish you the best. That will be neat. And we've, yeah. we're going to have to follow up on that one, Charlie. Um, but. Yeah. I, I love the fact, though, you know, I, I spend time working in the world of drag racing and on Hidden Horsepower. We have spoken with many sprint car engine builders who did get their start in drag racing. And I want you to talk a little bit about that. Uh, the drag racing mentality brought to sprint car racing in that doing everything perfect, right? Pro stock is where you spent a lot of time racing. I think you went down the track at over 200 miles an hour. And yeah, so you have to you have to look for everything. Like everything matters, 
And now that happens in all the motorsports, sprint car racing included. Maybe well, once upon a time it didn't, but now it does. You tell me, though. Obviously, drag racers were always ahead of their time as far as engine development compared to sprint cars. And uh, that's how they end up coming to my shop, you know. And uh, But it isn't, you know, you brought up something there. It's never about one thing. It's never. Uh, it, it's to develop a combination People think, I'll buy this one thing and I'll have a good motor. No, you've got to develop that combination. And when you develop that, then you work around that. But once you've got that developed where it's proven on the racetrack, yes, we got dinos and uh, we know what we're looking at, but you still got to see it on the racetrack and see the results. And uh, once you develop that combination, you don't want to get too far from it. You want to still try things, but you don't want to forget what you got working for you, you know, and... Some people want to try all this trick stuff. It's not about tricks. It's about detail, detail, every every single thing, and put the efforts into it to to make sure that everything you do. I'll give you an example as to hone a ball. Everybody talks about these motors that we deal with, in my opinion, are the hardest motors to seal of any uh, form of racing. Maybe, maybe not the top fuel, but any normally aspirated motor, these are difficult because they're so thin. We got everything so light. The blocks, they're aluminum blocks. Everything moves around. Uh, in a steel block, if you can't see a steel block, you're not very intelligent. That's all I can say. But uh, aluminum blocks are a different beast. And if you watch these sprinkler guys, you watch these races, you always see these cars pushing smoke out their door, oil out their door, some things. They're, they're creating crankcase pressure, and they don't have it figured out, you know, and... Uh, I do have that part figured out. I can tell you that, and uh, and it wasn't easy. And and Keith at Total Seal was a big part of that. Keith has been, as Keith will tell you, people when they came out with a .9 millimeter ring, they couldn't make them work. Well, I didn't have no trouble making them work. Uh, it ain't the ring; it's everything. It, it, uh, how good your piston groove, how you how you honing your block, how you cleaning your block, how you setting your ring gaps. There's so much detail involved in sealing a block. Uh, what are you assembling it with? Uh, the piston plays a big part in it, but a ring can't do its job if you don't do the rest of the job, and that's detail, everything that's involved in sealing that block. It's not easy. It is not easy. Oh, a- absolutely, and Charlie's 100% correct. I mean, Charlie, you know, we talk about the .9. Heck, there was a time Charlie ran all the .8s. Uh, Charlie has been the guy that, you know, if, if we've got a crazy idea, something we want to try, I'll talk it over with Charlie. And if Charlie thinks it's a, hey, I'm willing to try that, we'll get him the parts. And if there's a person out there that's going to make this work, it is Charlie. Because, as he said, he is so attention to detail oriented. It's not just about that part. It's, it's as Charlie said, it's like a lock and a key. You know, everything's got to be right. The cylinder's got to be right. The piston's got to be right. The bore finishes. It all has to be right. And that is the thing that, you know, Charlie, uh, you know, beyond reproach is the master of is that attention to detail. He's not rushing. He's not trying to get 50 engines a week out. He's working on that engine, and he's going to follow that engine until it's done and it's perfect. And that's that's why he does the things he does and the way his cars run the way his cars run. Uh, he gets you know longevity, life out of the you know life out of an engine that very few get, and it's just because everything is done so right. And at you know at the same time, Charlie, you know he works with good people. 
you know, his the, the people that he builds for, the teams that he works with, uh, you know, here's the maintenance, here's how you're going to do it, you're going to clean it, you're going to take care of it like this. You don't just take it and run it and throw it in the car and then expect, you know, take the car and throw it in the trailer and expect it to come out next week and, and run perfect. Uh, you know, like he said, it's a it's a system. You design a program, and that's, that's you know, that's Charlie. That's, you know, you got a program and you got to stick to it. Uh, I'd like to say one thing here about how I got started in drag racing that I never had anybody to teach me. I never had no teacher. I had to learn on my own. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I don't, I don't know everything. But I bought a book. I don't know how old you are, Joe, but I bought a book in 1958 put out by Ed Iskandarian called Valve Timing for Maximum Output. I paid $1 for that book. I'm, I got it here on my desk right now looking at it. And I'm telling you, it's the best book I ever bought. There's still information in that book today that that holds true. I mean, Ed Iskandarian, I, I put her, if, you know, in the late 50s, mid-60s, early 60s, Ed Iskandarian, in my opinion, was a very, very smart person. And this book proves it. And I learned so much out of that book. And I still rely on looking at that book once in a while for some common sense. And, uh, but anyhow... That got me started in drag racing, just reading that book. And, of course, I read Bill Jenkins' books. I read every book I could get my hand on, you know. And uh, But I, I never really had anybody to show me the ins and outs and the easier, easier way to do this. I mean, it's a slow process learning yourself, but it works. It works if you stick at it, you know. And uh, it's not all bad, but uh, obviously if I had a young guy come in here, I could teach him things if he's willing to work. That uh, would make it a lot easier for him to uh, to go down the path that I've traveled. But uh, but I I just very fortunate that I, I got something in my life that I love to do. I sure wouldn't be doing it at my age, you know. I I don't know what retirement is. I'm not interested in retirement. Uh, to me, that's just giving up life. That's the way I look at it. Well, you found something you love to do. Why would you retire from that ever? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, it doesn't work to me. Well, there's times it's frustrating, but. Uh, Everything in life can be frustrating. I think in the last year or so, the parts availability and stuff, it's been very difficult for a small shop because the bigger shops are buying up everything. You know, as soon as something's released, they grab it. And I can't afford the inventory what a big shop could. But I do inventory more than I ever had because you have to. You can't get parts, you know, and it's it makes it difficult. And quality control, man, I've had some experience in the last year or so with valve problems and things because of lack of quality control. I don't have that trouble with Total Seal. I haven't had a trouble with parts from Total Seal. Uh, maybe because Keith likes me, he takes care of me. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you ask Keith how many times I ever had I call him with a problem. Not too many times. Not too many times. And I never complain your rings ain't working because they work. I don't want no problem. Keith, um, is Charlie getting preferential treatment over there or what? What's up? I, I, I try to treat everybody the same, and I try to treat them like they're my friend and my family, and again, as Charlie is. Uh, and, and I appreciate the kind words, Charlie. Yeah, very fortunately, we've had very, very few issues. Uh, like Charlie said, I could probably count on one hand in the 20-plus years I've been dealing with Charlie where we've had to, you know, to, to, to fix something up and sort something out. But uh, we do really try to, you know, I shouldn't say try. We pride ourselves on trying to get as much out of here every single day as we can. It's, uh, you know, during this whole you know, you know, supply issue thing. It's I got to tell you, the hardest part of this thing is telling people, you know, from my side that you know I I don't have that. It's going to be, you know, two weeks or three weeks or a month. You know, I, 
you know, in all the years I've worked here, I've never had to say that. I've never had that. And, and fortunately, we're getting pretty caught back up right now, and that's not really any kind of an issue. But for a little while there, uh, that, that really pained me to have to say that to somebody because normally it's like, no problem, get it right out. Might be in the shop for a day or two. Uh, and, you know, for a while there, that wasn't the case. But we're kind of we're kind of back up to speed now and, and going forward. But, uh, again, I do appreciate, you know, the, the kind sentiment from Charlie. Well, I was going to tell Keith, you know, we were talking about there was a couple of mistakes maybe in 20 years. I've always had a saying, I'll say that the day I die, the man that never made a mistake never did much. He must have laid in bed all his life. <laughs> if you're willing to own up to a mistake, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if you keep doing you know, Danny Jessel, Jessel Baltrain, another good friend of mine that's helped me a lot down through my racing career, and in my opinion, makes the best rock arms and stuff in the business. Uh, Danny always tells me, he pays his help good, but there's no third time with him. If you make a mistake twice, uh, it's not going to be a third time. And I, I kind of go along with that. You know, that, that kind of tells me you really don't care about what you're doing. But a man never made any mistakes. He never did much in life. He couldn't have. You know. Yeah, that that is good advice. And you're name-checking like the icons of all motor racing in the first half of this episode this is just amazing for me to listen to earlier you asked about how old i am uh, i'm i'm about to be 50 years old real soon i don't tell everybody that but you are you are 80 plus and to hear your energy charlie it is amazing the energy you have the passion you have for what you're doing well thank you i appreciate that but like i said find something in life you like to do and and it won't be, you want to go to work, you know, you want to get up and go to work. And uh, I don't expect the government to keep me or somebody to give me a program. Uh, I don't know. People talk about age, age. Uh, to me, I think there was a saying, like, how old would you know if you didn't know how old you were? Or how, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were, rather? Uh, you look back and say, well, oh, hell, I'm 81 or 82. I think I'll quit. I'm not doing it. I don't know if Keith ever told you, but uh, I'm a big dog lover, big dog lover. And uh, my dogs have kept me very active in life. Uh, we walk, I walk thousands and thousands of miles with my dog. Now, people don't believe that. Well, you figure it out. If you walk two miles a day with your dog and you had dogs for 30 years, that ends up a good many miles. You know? huh. And it keeps me going. And to see my dogs... The worst day in the shop when I get home and walk my dog, it's a great day. It's just a great day uh, because we humans can't live up to a dog in my, in my look, outlook of life. I just, uh, uh, there might be a few humans can, but the dog, their loyalty and their love is unconditional. And it's, uh, it, it's another thing I found in life that, they, oh, yeah, dogs are a lot of work, but they give a lot back, too. And uh, Keith will tell you that, that's for sure. That is oh, amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Keith, you're a dog guy, too? Oh, I, I love all animals. I, I could tell stories. Uh, you know, currently I don't have any dogs, but I do have, I'll call it two, and it looks like now a third cat because one of them's uh, stray has adopted our house, and it uh, seems like my wife can't stop feeding it. So I want to say I have three cats and a bird, but we've had everything from monkeys to, you know, uh, you know Bennett wallabies to, uh, oh, goodness gracious, uh, all kind, <laughs> just all kinds of stuff. Like I say, exotic parrots. Uh, you know, iguanas. We used to have a six-foot-long green iguana, and and love them all. You know, they all need our help. They all need us to take care of them and to be there for them. Uh, you know, through sickness and health. You know, for better for worse. Uh, they depend on us, and you know, we're there for them. So yeah, we're real animal lovers. Wow, that that is great. And, and just since we're on the topic, of course, we'll get back to technology. Since we're do- talking dogs, I just got a uh, text from my mother. 
and she just brought her little dog to the vet to, you know, get snipped, right? And he's got the cone on him, and he looks this, like the saddest little guy you'd ever imagine, man. And so I'm just sharing that with you. <laughs> Super sad little guy. Poor Frankie. But, hey, it has to happen. So I want to know, Charlie, you know, working with Keith, we talk about the engine builder out there, the fictitious engine builder that we know exists, who is unwilling to adopt new technology, who is maybe afraid or cautious. You talked about the combination. And when Keith comes in with point nine, they're like, no, nah, man, I don't want to try that. And they're still doing what they've always done because they're getting a decent result. They've got customers. You do not sound like that guy. As somebody who has been doing it for so long, talk a little bit about your adoption of new technology like were you always wanting to find the next best thing was that uh something that you resisted at first just talk a little bit about that because things are always changing and clearly with ring seal they've changed a lot for the better pretty recently yeah well i'm not against trying anything uh, as long as i think i mean I'll, I'll tell them send it to me and let me look at it and Maybe I'll try. It depends if I've ever been down that road or not before, you know. But uh, uh, again, getting back to that combination, you got to figure that out first, and then you work around it. And uh, if Keith thinks he's got a better ring that will seal my motors better than what I'm sealing right now, uh, I'd be willing to try it. These these aluminum blocks are very difficult to hold vacuum, very difficult. And my motors will hold vacuum. And uh, we're not running vacuum pumps. We're relying on the Dyson pump to do the work. Well, they all pump other, but uh, the Johnson Paul pump with five stages. But uh, if you can't hold vacuum, you're going to get rank, you're going to get crankcase pressure, and, and that's a sign of lack of seal. You know, and, uh, uh, my point nine millimeter ring and I use a Keith has been so reliable to me. It just <laughs> it just has been. Uh, I'm not saying there isn't something better out there, and yeah, I'm, I'm willing to look at things. I mean, uh, I don't. If you're too stuck on your ways, that's not really good either you can't uh, you can't just say i know everything and it can't go any further you can't do that you know uh, uh again by getting back to what i said the word detail just paying attention to every single thing not a whole bunch of little details can add up to some results but uh, uh I, I never was a believer though when i drag race the only thing i ever found that a, uh, my vendor told me he was going to give me when we were running de-ordered. I ran comp preliminary for a lot of years. I went to postdoc in 83. But Joe Liberty, he swore if I used his clutches, he just brought them out, you're going to gain a tenth. I, and I'm like, yeah, I've heard that story before. <laughs> well, believe me, it did. Believe me, it did. And uh, then when we went to postdoc, we tried to keep running that, that clutches transmission, and everybody laughed at us. Because and it didn't work because we didn't have the right clutch combination. Now they all run them, you know. But the clutch technology changed so much, and now they all run clutches, you know. Of course, the Lanco was a big thing. But uh, uh, anyhow, Joe Liberty, when, when he when I bought that Liberty clutches, we set the deorder record right away because we needed that tenth. And uh, and he said you can't shift like a like a Liberty will shift, and he was right, you know. Uh, uh, just things like that. There's technology that came into drag racing that, uh, you know, has certainly changed that sport considerably. Uh, and cause pro stock goes, you know, pro stock, 
I got I got away from NH or I, yeah, NHRA maybe. I don't know when I moved over to IHRA exactly, but I'm going to say 85, maybe 86, maybe a little later than that. I did win Darlington. In IHRA, we won the Winter Nationals at Darlington in 1994, and uh, I retired from racing in 96 because it got to the point where if you couldn't do it full-time and have major sponsors, you just can't do it. You just can't. And uh, it was time to concentrated my business full-time, and, uh, and I, I left drag racing, but uh, had a lot of good years, and uh, certainly regret none of them, that's for sure. You know? But the technology end of it, of course, you see it so much in in, uh, in drag racing. I mean, you look at the top fuel cars, and the, <laughs> some of the things those guys have in those, in those uh, fuel systems today is just nothing short of incredible, and the power that they're making, I mean, it's a, and it never stops. I mean, Look at the speed they're running at, at a thousand foot today compared to compared to what you know. He just uh, and and he still got restrictions on them, but uh, I don't know whether what's the fastest they could ever run if he lifted all restrictions. Oh wow! <laughs> but drag racing is hard to say. <laughs> it's just uh, amazing. No, it is uh, amazing. It, it, it is. It really is. You know? I mean, uh, you know, my driveway from my shop out to our main route, or road, which is Route 94. That's about a thousand feet, and I tell a lot of people, can you imagine something leaving my shop until they got to 94? They're running 330 miles an hour. <laughs> it's pretty damn unbelievable, <laughs> but they do. Yeah, they, do. they do. They do. It's amazing. Keith, jump in with a question for Charlie. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna comment. You know, it's funny you said that about top fuel, Charlie, and, and, and the restrictions and what they do in the, you know, the mile an hour. I, you know, it, it's one of those things I've many times thought about. What if there was an outlaw top fuel class? You know, eighth yeah. mile, and let them do what they want to do. How fast could it go? I wouldn't know. I really wouldn't. It's just pretty damn fast right where it is. I can tell you. You ever stand behind one of those things? You really can appreciate how fast they are. Since we're telling stories uh, like that, I, this is, and, and I may have mentioned this once before one of the shows, but uh, this has been a few years ago now. I was actually in, in Australia. I was in Willowbank, Australia at the Australian Winter Nationals. Uh, Andra was the association at the time. I think it's changed. But I had the opportunity to go down on the starting line and literally stand about where the the bell housing would be between two top fuel dragsters when they left the line, and and keep in mind at that time they were still running you know thirteen twenty. What was amazing to me, Charlie, is when these things when the throttle opened, and you saw the glow of the header go out. These consumed so much air into the hat, it you can't not not get pulled forward. It makes you take a step forward to balance yourself. It consumes wow. so much air so fast. Anybody that's had that opportunity, check it out because it's unbelievable. And I actually got to go down. There was three rounds of fuel, and I got to go down in between the cars every pass, and it did the same. No matter how hard I tried, it sucked me forward a good foot, two feet every time. Wow, wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah it just shows you how much you know, air that thing is going through that thing. That don't, anybody that don't have an appreciation for the, the acceleration of those top fuel and funny cars have they don't have much respect for speed or have any interest in speed, I should say, because it is incredible. It really is. It's just uh, uh, they're kind of a, a, a ticking time bomb, but 
they, they get down there a lot of times about almost two. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just hard to believe. Wow. A funny car, I would never even consider driving. <laughs> Talk to a car in my day, yeah, I would have tried one. I don't like that motor in front of me or that fire. That I wouldn't like. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. Wow. You know, uh, that's where I spend my weekend, right? I work at the NHRA as one of their track announcers, and for the Nitro cars, I'm, uh-huh. on, I'm on the starting line where Keith so described. What, what do you do, Joe? I mean, with NHRA, like if I watch NHRA, which I watch them all, I mean, you are involved like at Norwalk? Were you at Norwalk? Yes, I was at Norwalk, and if you go back and you watch the Fox Sports 1 coverage and just kind of look mm-hmm. in between the lanes, like in between the water boxes or right in front of or behind the battery that says FVP, it's like a fake battery there on display for marketing purposes, right. I will be standing okay. in the middle kind of holding a microphone there. And my job is to oh. just observe everything that is happening, and if... Something is happening. Let's say one of the crew chiefs is making a late decision to go into the clutch can and adjust something or somebody not start or whatever. I radio up to the tower like this is what's happening. But then after the run, let's say in in this case, uh, this past weekend, Dean Antonelli, crew chief for Ron Caps, wanted to tell Cruz Pedregon's team that he was unhappy that Cruz uh, had taken so long to uh, stage. And he came right over, and, and I did an interview with him, and he said that it was chicken shit, and, and it was a big thing, and it goes out over the microphone in the venue. We call it in-venue, like for the people that are there at Norwalk, but also on NHRA.TV, the NHRA streaming okay. show. And occasionally I also work for Fox Sports 1 on, on NHRA on Fox when somebody is sick or somebody is out or they can't make it to the race. But I'm an announcer and a reporter, so to hear you guys talk about how amazing it is to stand in between two nitro cars. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, man, that's where I am every race, like enjoying that. And you, <laughs> and you know what? It never gets old. Like, it always is amazing. Yeah. So far, I get back, and I'm like, I can't believe we're doing this. And it's just, I think it's underappreciated, honestly, in other forms of motor racing. I think it's underappreciated. Well, I think you're right. I think you're right on that. I think now now maybe uh, uh, oh. Tony Stewart, I, I would imagine now he appreciates it, but uh, I don't know if he did before he got involved with his own team and stuff like he does now. But you're right. I don't think most people appreciate, even though I'm involved heavily in sprint car racing, I'll follow drag racing very close. And uh, uh, it's an amazing sport, and their TV coverage is amazing. They got excellent TV coverage, really got good TV coverage. And uh, uh, I don't know TV. For some reason, in TV, to me, it's hard to appreciate it like it is being there. Now, spring girl racing, uh, I think you can appreciate it on TV a little more because it's so much driver involved in a spring car. I mean, not that it ain't in a drag car, don't get me wrong. But, I, 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 you know, I never thought with the technology we have today that the sound effects on TV never come close to what those cars really do sound like. I, I just don't think they do. A top fuel car standing there and listening to it, just even idle, is unbelievable. But it just don't quite have that sound on TV to me that it does in person. I, don't, I just don't think so. Agreed. But uh, no way to no way to du- duplicate why. it. There's there's no way. Well, what yeah, about sprint I'm, car yeah, racing? Yeah. Let's 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 go into that though, because there's an inner beauty to to that as well. That it, you know only the people that are the true insiders can talk about. I know you've got many track records out there with your engines and. They're on the ragged edge as well. What does it take to be successful, to be fast in sprint car racing? Well, what it takes in sprint car racing, 
you really you do need a good motor but to me there's a lot of tracks that you just can't use it unfortunately uh we don't have clutches we don't have the we don't have that technology i've always said and i think i'm correct if drag racers ever entered in the sprint car they would figure better ways to hook these cars up because if i look at a sprint car as far as the chassis and stuff it's basically no no real new technology that I can see. I really don't. Uh, and of course, they got tire rules that make it a little more difficult and stuff too. But uh, but the half mile tracks, like I'll give you examples here in our area, uh, Williams Grove, which is very close to my my business, uh, Sealands Grove, Port Royal, they're half mile tracks. There, you better have some motor. When it comes to qualifying, you better have some motor. And uh, now Lincoln Speedway is right over the hill from my place. So, uh, I mean, I can walk to Lincoln Speedway just about. Now, there, there's times you can use motor. Anthony Macri on, uh, on the Monday night won Lincoln Speedway. He won that race. He won Williams Go Friday night. But uh, qualifying sets the whole format for sprint car racing. And if you ain't in the redraw or you're not in the dash, you're in a heap of trouble because it's so equal today. You've got to be in them front couple rows. But it takes a good driver, too. I mean, Cal Larson, you know Cal Larson was in here last night, and he got whipped. I mean, he got beat last night. He started on the pole, and uh, Brett Mark started 13th, a local racer, and ran him down and won it. And uh, that's pretty hard to do. But Brett, the PA Posse has some good races. They really do. But I'll guarantee you, when when they put Larson on the pole last night, he drew the number one. I thought, boy, he's going to win it, but by God, he didn't. You know, Macri, my guy, the, the kid that I'm working for a lot, that he ran third. Uh, Brett Marks got by him. He was going to run second, but he couldn't hold Marks off. But they did, uh, they did, they did beat Kyle Larson last night, and that's very difficult, uh, very difficult. But you don't just come into Central Pennsylvania and think you're going to win. I can tell you that. It's, uh, but I do have the track records at Port Royal, Williams Grove, and Sealings Grove. And with three different drivers, Brian Brown has the uh, track record at Port Royal. Anthony Macri has it at Sealings Grove. And uh, the Indy Race team uh, with Bernie Surgeon has it at uh, Williams Grove. So I'm pretty proud of that. I don't usually brag, but I am proud of that. I really am because those records are going to be hard to break. We broke the Williams Grove record uh, about a year ago, and it was like 18 years old. Uh, Port Royal, I don't know if they'll ever break that record. I mean, Brian Brown... He doesn't win as many races as he can, as he could because he's getting a little older. But he's an excellent qualifier. He's a very some guys are just better qualifiers. Getting back to your original question, there, they just, they're just smoother. They're just uh, they can work that that wheel and, and they're just smoother. And yet maybe they're not quite as good and aggressive when it comes to actual racing. But they're just better qualifiers. And uh, Brian Brown is one of them for sure. But on those tracks, you do have to have a motor. I mean, you really do. Uh, especially in qualifying, because like I said, if you run the World Outlaws or any race where there's a dash, if you ain't in that dash, you, you just ain't going to win. You just can't because the, the level of competition is too tough. And it's very, Although last night, Brett Marks has probably the furthest I've seen anybody come from 13th and win a race. That's, that's, I mean, for a while, he's had an extremely good race car. But you know, in qualifying, he was horrible because his car wasn't right. And without a good car and a good driver, even a good motor is not going to help you. You need all three. You've got to have all three. Keith, jump in here with a question for Charlie. Well, one of the the questions was also you didn't bring up how, you know the, you know Charlie did all the engines for Jason Myers you know in all his outlaw championships 
And as Charlie said, it's a combination. It's, you know, it, you got to have the car, you got to have a driver, people that take care of it and, and, and great power. Uh, but, you know, question wise, Charlie, I mean, you know, do you miss going drag racing? I'm, you know, we've talked about a lot of things. I know your passion for sprint car, but, you know, would you ever consider doing some drag stuff again? No, I would not, Keith. I really wouldn't. I, I wouldn't want to travel. Uh, uh, yeah, locally, would I want to drag race locally? I would drive a drag car again, but uh, nothing ridiculously fast. But uh, uh, my traveling days with my, my family and stuff now, uh, I would never want to travel anymore. I, I did my share of traveling, and uh, that's one thing I don't miss. I could say with today's world, the traffic and the, the hassle of getting around, it's just... Uh, uh, I would not want to do that part, but I, I, I miss drag racing at times. I'll never lose the passion for drag racing. I mean, the, the technology and, and the efforts that's put in it. Like I said, a lot of people could never appreciate those cars, how fast they are. I, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And getting back to one other thing you said was Jason Myers, and I wanted to bring that name up because I was very, very fortunate to ever work for him. And uh, I met I met him in 03, I guess it was, and uh, when I got to work for him full-time in 09 to 011 and win those World Outlaw Championships. And he's a very good friend of mine today, a very good friend, and uh, very fortunate to ever be able to work with Jason Myers. Uh, and he was a good driver. He was just smooth. He didn't tear stuff up. You're not going to win championships by flipping race cars. You've got to finish if you don't finish, you you can't make those points up. And he did not destroy much. He was he was easy on motors. You know, there's a lot of nights he'd come to me if, by the, by feature time, he'd say we got to get rid of some power. We're not going to be able to use it by feature time, and we'd make changes and and take some power out and and uh, we'd win races. You know, he he was just that good a driver. He he knew he knew what that track was capable of holding. Where some guys they won't do that. They just don't understand that come feature time. Sometimes you go, well, it ain't no different than drag racing. They got to take power out of time, depending on track conditions, and uh, that's what you got to do, you know. Very interesting. Now, Charlie, at the end of each episode, we ask for advice for the next generation. I want you to start thinking about that in the back of your mind. I'm going to give Keith an opportunity to ask another question or two, but that's how we land the plane here on Hidden Horsepower. And uh, before we turn that's it over to Keith, I just want to, uh, to remind you that you know uh, Maple Grove Pro Stock has been added to the schedule this year. It was kind of a mid-season change once the Koretsky family purchased Maple Grove. Of course, Kyle Koretsky races in NHRA Pro Stock, as does Matt oh, Hartford. Yeah, I know that. As does Matt Hartford. Yeah. And so Maple Grove this year, we got to get you out there to uh, to come hang out and watch a little NHRA Pro Stock this year when we come back to Maple Grove since the Kretzky family has saved the track. You know, that thing was, there was no guarantee that that was going to stay a drag strip. So they bought it and they saved it, and that is, is great. Is that right? I, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it was. Oh, Maple Grove. Maple Grove was one of my favorite tracks. We did pretty good at Maple Grove at times. So, mm-hmm. It was dicey for and a little while. It, uh, you know, the location of it uh, in the country like that, it's just neat the way it sits there. You know, it's Beautiful. A, oh, well. And they have a lot of plans uh, for it. They're going to make it better, and they're going to do a lot of good stuff with it. And this will be the first year sure. that they are they are the owners. But, no, there were some people that were suggesting that maybe it would not be a racetrack or maybe it would be houses or who knows. But the Kretz- oh, don't even bring that up. <laughs> I've seen, seen enough damn houses. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. But they saved it. So the bottom line is. I see is- all this farmland. I see, all, see, I live in farmland here, and I see all this farmland disappearing with houses, and it's. 
kind of sickening. It's kind of sickening. It's just, uh, but lucky enough around my shop here, it won't happen because these are all Meta Knight people, and they won't sell. They will not sell. They're hardworking people, and uh, there's a little guy right in back of my shop running a tractor this morning. I bet that kid ain't over 10 or 12 years old, and he's out there running a the tractor. They're taught to work taught to work at a very young age, and they're all good kids. They really are. Wow. Keith, question for Charlie. Well, like Joe said, we got to get you out to the track. We, you know, we'll get you the VIP treatment. But uh, now this is completely off the wall and has nothing to do with engines. Last time I was there, uh, that place, Tropical Treat, had just opened up. Just wanted to know if you've been there, Charlie, since the season started. I'm, I'm going there tonight. I'm going there tonight. <laughs> That place has been in business since 53, Keith, 53, yes, and it's not changed, it's the same, uh, their, their food's all, oh yeah, that's a very popular place and it's close to my shop. Did you eat there? You say you ate there? Well, last last time I was there, it was actually the opening day, the line was huge. They're only open in summer, they don't open, they're, they're closing. Yep, it was, it was last time I was there, I stood in that line to get me a burger. Uh, if, for those that don't know, in Hanover, there's a neat old school drive-in tropical treat, and it, if you haven't yep. been there, you got to go because it's really cool. You can still pull in your car and order right from your car, too. You can do it either way. You know? but, uh, yeah, I told my wife, when I get done with this interview, we're going to a tropical treat tonight. <laughs> it's funny you Perfect. <laughs> That is awesome. That is awesome. Keith, is and there... It's right out the road. It's right out the road here. I used to drive my car around there when I was in high school. That's how damn long that place has been there. <laughs> wow. That's excellent. Maybe I'll I'll hit it when we hit Maple Grove if it's not that far away. Well, I love places. To. I... You ought to. They got the best ice cream. Uh, they got the best... Uh, I don't care what you get there. It's good. It never changed. It's never... It's always been the same family and... Uh, they hand it down through the generations, and they, they and it looks the same. It just don't change outside or inside. There's no place to eat inside. You gotta sit outside the picnic benches. It ain't no place where you walk in and eat. It's a, uh, it's a drive-in. It's an old school drive-in. Yep, it's hard to believe. I love it. No, that's right up my alley. I love stuff like that. Uh, Keith, final question for Charlie before we uh, we let him give the next generation some advice. Well, with with that, Charlie, just you know. What what do you see the next you know where do you see the next thing in the sprint car engine or in engine development in general? Do you see it more you know I mean obviously we're doing everything we can with the rings and improve ring seal. Do you see do you see a place where there's more Charlie? Because we're always looking for more. Nobody ever stops. Always more more more. Every time we go to a show, what do you got you know more? What do you got new? Do you see it in manifold or cylinder head or you know like you said you know maybe more drag race guys getting involved in the sport you know bringing that level of innovation? Where, where do you see the next thing? Well, obviously, Keith, what I see in most of these motors that I've dynoed that are other people's motors, they don't run good enough up top. They're not efficient enough. They don't they don't have it figured out. Oh, you can make a lot of low end torque, but you can only they're running these motors today, Keith. They're all running them up there at eighty eight hundred. I mean, even though they don't my motors will run good up to eighty two, eighty three hundred, but uh they're going past that some, but the bottom line is most most of the motors I experience with have I looked at in the dyno, they just don't run good enough up top, and uh, and mine do, and uh, that comes from a lot of my drag race experience and doing my own head work, and uh, I don't disclose what I do to my head. I don't want anybody to know what I do to my head. The bit, you know what, Rear Morrison, I'll never forget this. We were in the test one time, 
in pro stock. And uh, David Rear come over to me, and he always seemed to let, have respect for me because he knew we didn't have a lot of money to work with. But we were testing the oil pan and some things. And David said to me, he said, Charlie, he said, that oil pan, he said, let me give you some advice. Work on the heads and the manifold until you're completely out of ideas. Then if you want to move down to the lower end and work on an oil pan or something, you might find a little something. But he said they used, like Morosa and them used a lot of people's names to say we made 20 horsepower here and there, but you want to concentrate on the heads and the manifold. And, and he's right. I mean, he's right. I developed a combination of my heads and my manifold that I don't want anybody to move. I don't, I don't allow my customers to take my motors anywhere, of course, uh, I won't work for somebody that I don't think I can trust, and I make them sign a release that they are not allowed to take these motors anywhere because you can't share everything you know or you're going to lose your advantage. And really, in sprinkler racing right now, unless they change the rules, if they allow us to spread the bore centers, yeah, we can make a lot more power. But right now, with a two-valve persona, no red cam, aluminum blocks, believe me, it's hard to find much. Believe me, it is. I'm sure we'll always find something. But you're not going to just jump in there and find uh, 30, 40 horsepower for a long time. It's going to come slow. It really is. And uh, uh, it's just, uh, again, go back to the word detail. But I'll never forget David Rear telling me that, that uh, keep working on those heads and manifold. And, and he's right. I mean, yeah, just don't get me wrong. There's power be found on ring drag and, and things like that. But if you don't got a good set of heads and a manifold, then you got to find the right camshaft and everything to work with it. Uh, it ain't going to happen. It just ain't going to happen. And it's, it's not easy. It's, you know, I look at the small block Chevy. When I was young and just getting out of high school, well, I was still in high school when the 55 Chevys came out. But look at that motor. In reality, we're basically working with the same configuration today. And look at the power we're making. <laughs> to say we would have ever made 900-plus horsepower of those motors, uh, you never would have dreamed that back then. But in reality, it's basically the same. I mean, yes, it ain't the same block and stuff, but it's the basically same layout. That Chevrolet was so far ahead of their time uh, that no one's ever beat that motor. They, I don't care if it's a Ford. I don't care if it's a Honda. I don't care what it is. You're going to play hell out running a small block Chevy if, if you've got an engine builder that knows what to do with it. It's going to be hard to outrun it as long as the rules are where they are. Now, if they favor... Toyota or Ford and say, well, you can run a wider bore center than the Chevy. Well, no, that wouldn't even be fair. But if they would do that, then you might be at a disadvantage. But uh, we need wider bore centers really to, to, to get more room for bigger valves and stuff because I've tried bigger valves and a lot of times it'll hurt you. You don't got room for it. Even though we got to move over as far as you can, we don't got big enough bores and stuff for that, you know. And uh, uh, So it's going to be hard to find a lot, you know, but All right, Charlie, here we go. I, I First of all, the whole interview is riddled with advice for our next generation. All they have to do is listen, and hopefully they're loving it as much as I am, and I am. But if you had the opportunity to talk to the young, uh, I know you grew up on a farm, and work was never your problem. You always loved to work, and you worked and have respect for work. Maybe something other than that, though. What would you say to the young folks that are getting involved, they're mechanically inclined, they love cars, they've got desire— what advice would you give the next generation to maybe give them a head start or a leg up or an opportunity to do to be successful in this field? Well, my advice would be, number one, if they really think this is what they want to do, 
you've got to get involved with the right people. I mean, you've got to get involved with people that can give you good advice, and you've got to be willing to work and work and work, or it's never going to happen. But uh, get involved with the right people for advice. Uh, obviously, there's certain people I call for advice. Uh, Danny Just was a fine example. You know, I'm lucky enough to be involved. If I want some advice about rings, I'll be calling Keith. Uh, uh Knowing the right people, getting involved with those people, and, and and being honest about everything you do, never ever lie to nobody because that'll catch up with you. you that's getting you nowhere. Be honest. Be honest and work hard, and uh, have a passion for what you want to do. You got to be sure you got that passion for it. And uh, but the biggest advice I could have is, like if somebody would call me for advice, uh, am I going to tell them what I'm doing to my shoulder heads? No. But uh, I would certainly give them advice, you know, and uh, I wouldn't lie to them. Uh, I would, uh, I've had a few young people that have been in my shop already and I've taught things. And uh, uh, it's just uh, the only problem is, you know, to try to teach somebody a very time uh, It's hard to, uh, to uh, get your work done when you're in a teaching process. But, uh, uh, but as far as advice on the phone, my advice to any young person is make sure this is what you want to do. And uh, if you think you really want to do it, uh, then uh, get connected with the right people to guide you down that road, you know, and uh, and make sure your parents, if you're a young person, I don't get your parents hot to be on board with it because my parents weren't on board with me, but I think they look back now or dead and gone. But I'm sure if they look down on me, they say, boy, they didn't want me to race, but they have to look down now and say, God, I, I guess we were wrong because he built a good business and he loves what he does. Why didn't we want him to race, you know? Uh, so your parents don't always know. Uh, they can give you advice also, but uh, if I'd have went the route my parents wanted me to do and not race, I don't believe I'd be working today. I probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, be as happy as I am today, you know? And and you got to be happy with what you do. If you're not, if you're not happy with it, you're not going to be... It's going to be a long, miserable life if you don't like what you do. That's all I can say. You know, but my advice would be make sure it's what you want to do. Get to know the right people, and you can put me on that list. If you want, it, if you want an advice as far as if you want to work on a motor, I'll give you advice. You know, uh, Do I know everything? No, I don't know everything. I don't want to know everything because then you're going to get dumb. You know? <laughs> if I can learn one thing this week, that's good to me. That's good. But then I get people that want to tell me things that I know I've been down that road, and I get a little stubborn about that because uh, I don't like, I don't want to use the wrong words here, but I'm going to have to call it bullshit. I don't like, it. <laughs> I don't like people telling me things that I know is wrong. I don't like it. I don't know everything. But if you've done enough in life, you know sometimes when somebody's trying to bully you around something, it's, wrong, it's just all wrong. And uh, uh, But that's about the only advice I could give. You know, uh, I don't know. Works for me. No, Charlie, that was good. That's good stuff right there. That You don't have to go too much, and now you've offered for them to call you, so I don't want to spoil it for them. How great was this, Keith? This was amazing, Charlie. Uh, I loved just hearing the stories, but also loaded with information and experience. I really appreciate you coming on the show, joining us on Hidden Horsepower. Well, I thank you, and I thank Keith. Keith, is at all, Keith and I have been friends for a lot of years, and uh, my God, he just... Uh, I can't say enough to be lucky enough to have a vendor that's willing to take care of me because that's not true with a lot of these vendors. I'm telling you, it's just not. 
Uh, you know, what I'm really disgusted right now is that the vendors don't want to take care of the customers that they had, yet they keep taking on more more work. It's all about money. But let's make sure you take care of the ones that stayed with you a lot of years, too. That would be like me not taking care of customers that have been with me for years. I, I can't do that to people. I just can't. Uh, I wanted to say thank you, Charlie. Again, I appreciate the kind words. And, uh, you know, I think customer service is what builds any good, long-lasting business out there, whether it's yours, whether it's ours. Uh, the foundation of any good business is customer service, good customer service. And, you know, if you've got bad customer service trust, you know, that word's going to get out. You know, it won't take long, and next thing you won't have any customers. So, again, thank you, Charlie. I appreciate the kind words, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it would just say, should have done it sooner, because, again, loved having you on here. Well, thank you very much. And All right. Joe, thank you. There he goes, Charlie Garrett with us here on Hidden Horsepower. Keith, that was one of my favorite episodes. Uh, it was awesome. Charlie's great, and we could probably talk for hours and hours. He's got so many stories and so much great knowledge, and it's a genuine honor to work with guys like Charlie. Amazing. For people out there who want great customer service and they want to learn a little bit about Ring Seal, what should they do? Well, check us out first at our website, totalseal.com. Tons of great information, videos, uh, uh, we'll just say a plethora of knowledge there for you to absorb and learn from. But if you need more, you don't see what you want, reach out to us. Uh, my email, Keith J at totalseal.com. All the rest of the guys are also on the website. Call us, 800-874-2753. Uh, we've got people here ready to take your call at any time and glad to answer your questions. He's Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sale for Total Seal Piston Rings. My name is Joe Costello. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, WFO Joe. And I also do a podcast called WFO Radio, where we talk NHRA drag racing, racing, and a whole bunch of stuff associated with going fast cars. And we'll have more episodes of Hidden Horsepower coming soon. This was a great one. Remember, rate and review. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. We appreciate you, and that's going to do it. We'll see you next time on the next episode of Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal.